This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz from Montclair, New Jersey. And this is Walter Cannon from Randolph, New Jersey. I am very happy to meet you guys and to do this thing. I feel like one of the elite. You are one of the elite, Walter. And our audience is going to recognize that in a heartbeat. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Walter. Let's start to get to know you a little bit. Tell us, what do you do? So while my title says I'm the business development manager, I'm really like the Swiss army knife of Zen 5. So I... I own BizDev, I own marketing, I own wholesale telecom, I own BizDev for the whole company, marketing for the whole company. We focus on digital infrastructure, competing every day against companies like Crown Castle. And when I was young, there and good looking, I had a nickname. It was called Marlon Perkins. So I'm dating myself. Who Marlon Perkins is, now you're going to go way back and I'm dating myself. Big game honor. Big game hunter. All right. Yeah. We'll get to that in just a bit. So let's take it a few years back. You graduated from Wayne with an engineering science degree in what is an engineering science degree? I got to go on LinkedIn and change this. I'm going to go on record. I never graduated from college. Ah, oh, the truth is out. Thank you, Walter. Walter I never graduated from college. Is it on my LinkedIn? It is on your LinkedIn. Yes. It says I went there. I wonder how much of that was used to get you the job at Zenfi. Let me explain to you. Let's back up and I'm going to do it really fast, the fast version of it. So basically, 12 years old, my father comes home with a typewriter and a modem attached to it and big ass pad. And he's basically saying, listen, you're going to learn how to program. My father was one of five blacks picked in by at in 1958 to be, and I owe a lot to him. I know we didn't always get along, but I know a lot to him. He was one of five blacks picked to go into a management training program. And he got to pick to go any, he's from North Carolina, Winston-Salem. He got to pick to go into any program he wanted to go. He ended up going to Wayne State in Detroit. And what he taught me with this typewriter that was Xerox modem at the time, I believe it's Xerox made modems, going into PNP 11 deck. You never hear about digital equipment anymore, is how to code and how to think about theory. Because back then, whatever mistake you made, you had to repeat all of the code that you had written. You can backspace the leap. And when you were 12 years old, there weren't apps. It's not like coding was probably something that was top of mind for you. No, there were no apps. Actually, I was like, how come I can't be outside playing? <laughs> like the opposite of what we do to our kids now. Get off the iPad, go outside. It's like, no, you learn how to code. Get out of the outdoors. And by the way, do your homework. Right. Yeah, so I started that, and then I went to a high school. It was a high school I went to called Castec in Detroit, basically by the... Like the Stuyvesant equivalent of Detroit. As you're a little bit more advanced, what you had to do is by your second semester in ninth grade, you had to learn how to code. You had to pick a major. And that major could be anything from, because you had the auto industry, so it could be like, I want to auto repair, I want to learn air conditioning, I want to do Kim Bio or I want business management. We've produced a lot of famous 
actors and actresses, musicians, business people. The head of CBS was a classmate of mine, Rosalind Gates. And it was a very, very intense inner city program. So I picked, because I didn't know what to pick. I didn't know which one I liked better. I picked Kim Bio and business information system. I learned how to code and started out doing Cobalt, Fortran, host of other things, Basic Plus. And used to walk around with key cards, <laughs> boxes and boxes of key cards. Imagine my bus ride was 45 minutes, so I would have boxes of key cards on the bus with me. Because you had to protect them. You couldn't leave them in your locker. Somebody might steal them. Or... That was Security 101 back then. So, Walter, before we dive a little bit more deeper into it, tell us about your family and upbringing. I see that you speak Portuguese and you speak Spanish as well. So what's your family background? Were you an immigrant family to the United States? Oh, no, not at all. I first went to, I, I've been working in Latin America and for the last 40 years, maybe a little bit more or less. And I learned out of necessity. I'll just be honest because I got to be honest in front of Phil. I'm just learning. I'll, I'll catch you in any lie, Walter. I know your tells. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a salesman by trade. And the first thing I started doing was we went to Brazil on a trip with a friend of mine. And we might have been 21, 22. And then we went down there and we bought stones and we brought them back. And to negotiate as an American is one thing. To negotiate as a guy trying to speak Portuguese was another thing. So I just started, kept going. And every little dime I got, I started learning the language. And the same thing happened, learning the language in, in Colombia, Dominican Republic, and in Puerto Rico. Stones as in jewelry stones? Like emeralds? Yeah. Brazil makes 50% of the world's semi-precious. So they don't do emeralds. They do have some emeralds up in the north, but mostly they're like amethysts, tourmalines. So there was a jeweler portion of the Walter life? You were a jeweler by trade hey, at some hey, point? Hey, hey, don't try to put me in with your brother. And I know. It's not my brother. My father is a jeweler on 47th Street today. <laughs> hey, still. Hey, Richard, I know you're Richard. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. God, no wonder I, we get along. We're like family. <laughs> so you have a father that brings home a terminal for you to start programming on at 12. You go to a high school and specialize in chem bio and business information systems where you're carrying around these yeah. cards with your programs on it, essentially. How does that dovetail into you became a jeweler going down to Brazil, carnival, partying in your 20s? I'm not a big carnival person. I've tried to be a carnival maybe two or three times. I'm not a big I think that would make you a big carnival person. I'm sure most people have been to carnival zero times. Actually, the best carnival is in Barranquilla, Colombia. He's not a carnival person, but right, yeah, yeah. But if I had to go to carnival, I'd go to Panamakia, Colombia. Wow. <laughs> so my mother and father divorced each other and married each other twice. And I was a food stamp baby. So I grew up with food stamps and like, in Michigan? In Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. My mom wouldn't look at me, I would want to do something. My friends were doing stuff. I had friends that were going skinny. So I went to a, a I still consider one of the best Catholic schools in Detroit. So I went there, but I went there with like all the Detroit Tigers kids, all the Motown kids. And these guys are going out doing things. I got new bikes. I got, I'm going to the secondhand shop, getting my clothes. And I'm like, I, I need to work. 
So I took my lawnmower, walked up and down the street, started cutting grass. That lawnmower ended up being four lawnmowers. I would ride almost to eight miles. I would cut grass wherever. Then I did snow shoveling and I just hustled, man. And by the time I got down to Brazil that trip, I had about $3,000 saved in the bank. Tell the story, God bless my mother, but she raised four boys and one girl, pretty much. And she didn't have the money. I bought my clothes since I was 11, 12. I just knew to hustle. So while I knew this technology, I also knew how to talk. I wasn't scared. You were not going to tell me no. You might tell me no, but I'm going to get you to the yes, because I'm going to find out why you said no. That struggle turned you into the hustler, the salesperson, the talker. That's what I do. My first job was actually writing basic, pro- I'm probably jumping ahead of you guys, but my first job was actually writing basic overlays onto VisiCalc and SuperCalc for a commodities trading fire. And then that morphed into a cash management fire that became part of what's now Chase, but with many handy, manufacturing or trust. So that's how I started. But one day my boss came to me and said, Brent, you talk too much. You need to be in sales. <laughs> I have been told that oh, I yeah. talk too much as well, but no one ever offered me a position <laughs> as a consequence of it. They just threw me out of their own. No, but Phil, you were going to talk yourself out of the deal. Nice. <laughs> Probably. Walter, that's a very, very touching story. You made a couple of interesting statements there, like a food stamp baby and never, never thought of it that way. And the fact that you grew up in an underserved community and becoming who you are today is just impeccable. What do you think was the driving force behind the fact that it was just about sustaining in the next day, potentially? What kept you going? Part of it was hunger. <laughs> I'm just going to be blunt. Having seen people that had nice things, I was like, as much as I want to say I'm from Detroit, I could be a thug, and I wasn't about that life, so I couldn't be a thug. And I was just like, I got to figure out what this hustle is. How do I get there? At the end of the day, you are less than that 1% that chooses the difficult path, which is eventually the right path, or yeah. just taking that easy route because everyone else is doing that and you're part of the community. I'm just curious what drove that passion, that interest, and that desire and to be better. Part of it was just hunger. I'm a big believer in religion. So I grew up a Christian. I've spent a lot of time in Israel. I spent almost 30 days in Morocco, going to mosque every day. I'm a big believer in all that. But not in any individual religion, all religion. Uh, it's the idea of spirituality. Yeah, I, be, I believe that. No, please. No, take your time. Take your time. This, this, is, this is touching. This is what this is about. We want to make sure that this message gets passed to the next generation people that potentially are experiencing same difficult times that you have, that they can find direction. I believe that everyone has to find their inner being and surround yourself with people that help you get there. It's an incredible story about finding purpose and using the struggle instead of as an excuse, as a means to push you forward and seeing the struggle that your family had and seeing how you translated that into an extraordinary career. That I think if someone looked at how your life would go back when you were on the streets of Detroit, I don't think anyone would have guessed where you ended up. I don't want to get it wrong. Like my parents provided, but we had help, right? I didn't live in the hood, hood, but it wasn't easy. 
And a lot of it had to do with just struggling, seeing how your classmates and your friends were living. And it became really evident. I went to a 40th reunion recently, and everybody was like with their clique. And I just had my boy that I've known since I was three. But he was in some of the other cliques. And he had to keep reminding them that, oh, yeah, because I went to school with a thousand kids in every class, in every ninth grade, thousand every year. And it became evident that, just to bring this a little back to technology, it becomes evident that this whole thing about the digital divide is not just the divide of access, but it's also the divide of opportunity. And as America has changed, in my opinion, to become a land of individualism instead of being a land of Americans, we realize that opportunity, we often cancel out the opportunity for people because we're worried about our own individualism. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really become about taking care of yourself. And we've really become a society that's driven by money and just about us versus... A lot of it, you could point to individual things, right? You see Instagram as an example. Everyone's taking Mm -hmm. pictures with these fanciful Kardashian-type lifestyles. And that's what everyone wants to portray to the world as opposed to us as a society bringing everyone up and bringing everyone together and understanding that the rising tide should raise all boats. Yeah, but you see it in the education system, man. And you see it, it's really bad in the education. I look at the stuff my little nieces and nephews come home, what they learn. Like, they don't learn that two plus two is two is four. It's it. This whole new thing that they're talking about. So my father, he was a mathematician. That was his key. Life is all about math. It's all about math. Listen, you get it. Look at everything the way you want to look at it. You can't escape it. You have two integers. They get added up and create a constant. And if you don't think about it like that, in which I've been very guilty of that, if you don't think about it like that, then what do you do? Like, and you don't train kids from when they're young to understand the consequences and then understand that we all are Americans. There's no Pledge of Allegiance. You don't pledge allegiance in the school anymore. I went to a school where we had prayer. One of the biggest joys of my life was getting up and listening to prayer and when I was in Marrakesh or even when I went to Haifa. It's certain things that install values in you that drives me. So I don't know if I can point myself to one thing. Right. But that sense of community, that sense of shared experience. No, that sense of I had to take care of me and then my family. And then if I can help somebody else out, I can help somebody else out. It's kind of interesting. You are an awesome story and a case study that fits in what Phil and I have set forth to do the whole initiative besides this podcast and the Nomad Futures Foundation is to create that opportunity for people, is to unite people and come forth together as humans versus as individuals. So we are thousands of miles away right now and I've got goosebumps to me just hearing and listening to your story and to your journey. This This is impeccable. I'm coming to corner. 
when he. <laughs> Oh, oh, you're leaving me behind in Jersey. Uh, I told you about Walter. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to know how that same. We'll spend one more segment on you know your experiences. What do your brothers and sister do? Were they impacted the same way in terms of how their situations have evolved? I would say a little bit, but let me start off by saying that I had two brothers and one sister. My youngest brother was a like he did robotic surgery, like for gynecologists, like that's not, that's what he does. My other sister is a principal at a school. And then my other brother was a senior vice president of trading systems at T. Rowe Price. They went through a bad divorce and checked out a week ago. Oh man, sorry to hear that. Yeah, okay. We fight with him for 10 years. Yeah. But clearly, like amazing how you and your entire family was able to kind of pull yourselves up and leverage the experience you had to really make a positive impact, not just on yourself, but on the world around you. You see from your emotion of it, how it impacts you and how this story is going to reach other people that are in Detroit right now, not recognizing where they're going to be at a time that it's things that pulled back even more. People are compartmentalized in their little worlds and their little fiefdoms in a way that we're so polarized as a society that nobody wants to admit that they're vulnerable. Hey, well, I really appreciate talking to you guys. It's like therapy. Oh, they, they'll send you the bill. The bill is down around the street from me. I'm right, All right. here, right here in Montclair. So, Montclair. so if, it, if it wasn't for JP Morgan Chase and your manager telling that you gotta be in sales, would you still be coding? That's yeah, still a passion? I don't think it was boring. It was boring? All right. We apologize to all the coders out there. It's right for some people. <laughs> well, I, in a way, I still code, right? If you look at what I do, I really go through process. Even when we were starting out, Zen, so if you mind, let me digress a little bit and tell you how I got to where I'm at at Zenfly. I've known Ray LeChance, one of our founders, for the last 35 years or more, and... He had always brought me in to figure out things, figure out process or figure out do special projects. And I like to say we've been married and divorced three times. And this is our fourth marriage. And it's the longest. Also, I'm lasting about a year to 18 months. I have pretty much been working. I have a very short time frame. I started in telecom in 2009. Before then, I had done some startups and Basically working as like head of sales, VP of sales for stocking some type of contract, whatever. Then it turned out, I basically decided to check out. And I started doing cooking shows and travel shows. I wanted to be the black Anthony Bourdain. Ah. Oh my gosh. So a jeweler, a chef. All right. Let's bring it on. Your modern day black. Renaissance. My God. (laughs) I'm Da Vinci. You are Da Vinci. So anyway, Ray calls me up in typical Ray fashion. What the hell are you doing? Bring your ass over here. I need a sales guy. That was 2009. I've been there ever since. But basically my whole thing is I'm not just that guy that's going to just try to sell. I'm trying to figure out what's the next step. So we knew that we were selling our first company. The whole thing was to come in and package up and sell and then start up something different after the three-year non-compete. So during that three-year time frame, 
we spent a lot of time, him and I, just like, what if this? What about this? What about this? Our business is very physical, but it's also you have to understand what's the selling point. So a lot of those skills I learned from writing on, you don't go write a program, you don't write flow charts, right? You just start <laughs> on some type of help. I call them help programs, right? Basically, you're starting to write programs. You look at this thing, and this AI stuff, they call it prompt. I'm like, what the hell? This, yeah. So when I think about this, you're still not understanding the process. And that was the biggest help to me is understanding what if. what Two integers add up together and equal consequence. So that's really what's helped me in my business is understanding that. And trying to get people to believe in the same thing I believe in. Because it's always a variable, right? I might think that X equals one thing and somebody else X equals another thing. It depends how you come up with the answer to the equation, then you figure out what the sum is or the consequence. I like to call it consequence. So I think I've been right a lot of times. Well, I think understanding that kind of 30,000 foot view, I, I understand that what you're selling at any given time is a means to an end. But if you understand the process, so like, where do you want to get to? Why are you doing this? Why do you think this will solve your problem? What is your problem and how to articulate that? That's a superpower in the world of sales. Yeah, And that's how I deal with my customers is that way. I'm not like, okay, you want two fibers, two fibers from here. And, or, that's not my sale. How do I get you into a pair of fiber today? How do I make that four? I'm not that, that guy. I think you make a great point. I think at the root of it, it's all mathematics, right? It, and, and we are binary. I think it's the, the gray matter is what and where it gets dangerous. But what's really cool about what you have shared thus far is the fact, not just about it being a technologist, but the ability to communicate. And the fact that you can talk and you can articulate. That's, that's the most important skill. That's why I even wanted to learn, like, you can go to Latin America, you can speak English. And most of the business people, even back in the 80s and 90s, when I was going to spoke English, I was like, oh, hell no. You need to really feel me. And you can't feel me unless I'm speaking your language. So I always wanted to learn their language. And wherever I go, I always try to learn somebody's, at least the local thing so that I can learn their language. Yeah. Well, that's phenomenal. Walter, I actually have heard about you. I believe you've crossed paths over the years at industry events. Never really had the opportunity of meeting you in person. And this is the cool part of what we are doing as it entails to our platform is that some of the very, very interesting stories come about that we never really get an opportunity to hear, even with the long-term relationships that we have had. So Thank you for being vulnerable and opening up and sharing your trials and tribulations and your journey to what made you who you are today. If you were to summarize, no, don't be sorry. Don't, there's nothing to be sorry. You should be, you should be Barbara, proud of who Barbara, you are. Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer made an entire career on getting people to get emotional in interviews. This is the best. When this happens, it means it's real. Love it. So yeah, what I would like for you would be if you can share, knowing what you know today and who you are today, what would the young Walter do? Would you carry on the same path? Would you make some changes? 
we can't go back in time and change things, but what would you tell the next Walter Cannon? Okay, now this is going to be, this might not be for your podcast listeners. First, as I tell them when I tell my nephews, don't get married until you're 40. Have enough money in the bank to buy, if you can't buy your house and have enough money in the bank, you're halfway to a 401k. And then that the goal, that's a problem. And I'm going to be honest, it might relate to everybody, but I'm speaking to young African-Americans that don't play sports, that don't have that nil contract for $10 million. I'm speaking to the guy that's just a little kid just trying to grind. Listen, get your butt in them books, understand process, understand the value of consequences because it'll kill you, and then understand some form of technology because technology is good. I, I recognize you're speaking to young African-Americans. I can tell you a middle-aged you on this call that also needs to take notes and try to achieve the, <laughs> the Walter Cannon guide to success. No, that's not necessarily a path I follow, but that's a path I wish I would have followed. Like, I'm 61, man. I'm still out here grinding. I think there's a lot of stuff out here. I'm very excited about a lot of technology, very excited about a lot of things that's happening. I think we are just on the cusp about another breakthrough with wireless. And if this AI thing is 10% true, you need wireless technology. Even selling to us. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I'll take two of anything from you all. And I'll sell wireless. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, the name of one of your companies has the word wireless in it. Anyway, so I'm going to phrase the question one other way. There's a lot of, I imagine stress that you put on yourself in the position that you were in, in Detroit, when you were grabbing your lawnmower and trying to keep up with the Mathers. I'm just trying to use a, a Detroit name that's not Smith. And maybe the Mathers weren't who you were trying to, to keep up with. But the question is, what would you tell young Walter that may have caused stress that actually ended up working out or the way it was going to work out? What caused stress for you that if you had known it might have made your life a little bit easier? It goes back to math, right? The shortest distance between point A and B is a straight line. No shortcuts. Don't take shortcuts. Wow. That's very well said. Absolutely phenomenal. Walter, what are some of the key areas that you're working on besides work and self? Sounds like that you're engaged with the African-American community. You're engaged with your nephews and nieces. You certainly look like a family man. What's keeping you occupied besides work and making sure that you can share your experiences, your trials and tribulations and the hard times that you've gone through as an individual? I think one of the biggest things I'm happy about is we have, when we're trying to figure out how it works, is we at, at Zenfi, we started what we call gigabit centers around the city. There's five of them. And we're trying to figure out how to fund them. So to fund them from a point of ongoing digital literacy. So we have an ongoing program of trying to work with the state and the city to figure out how to do digital literacy and keep reaching out, and giving back. So that's a very key thing for me right now. On top of figuring out, hey, look, we sold. What does Walter Cannon do next? All right. Walter, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Your story is impeccable. What a, what a journey to get to where you're at today in your life and thank you for 
being vulnerable and sharing your story as well as doing what you're doing to give back to the community and the next generation. I owe it to God, my parents, and some very good friends and family. Wonderful. Love you, man. Thank you. Love you guys. Take care, bro. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on. And we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.